Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sander Lanch Podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Jamie. I'm Dak. And I'm Data. I waited my turn this time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for returning. Today we are covering Mistborn, the final empire, chapters 10 and 11, uh, wherein Vin meets up with Breeze to learn more about soothing and riding. We see Kelsier give a rousing speech to try to recruit people for their army. The team has a meeting showing that their plans aren't going completely according to plan. And we find out that Steel Inquisitors have done away with Vin's previous thieving crew. Hold on, everybody. The Sander Lanch is about to begin. My revolution carries me in a moment lost in Okay, everybody. So, what did you guys think of these two chapters in general? That second chapter really, was really short. Yeah, it was. I, I agree. I really liked the first chapter. The second chapter, I, I felt like it was almost too short, but that's not a bad thing. It was just like very abrupt. I felt like definitely abrupt. I was thinking through when they were talking the progress meeting and I was just like, Oh, okay. Yep. This is all happening. Going to plan. Yep. Things aren't great. Oh, whoa. What the hell? <laughs> so, yeah. That Everybody's definitely dead. took me by surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think in actuality, now I'm looking at the actual length of it. It is 3475 to 3630. So that's a little bit shorter than normal. I think it really feels shorter because, like, not a whole lot happens in it, really. But there's kind of a lot of introspective stuff in there. It's not terribly shorter than the normal chapters we've read, actually. And also, the next chapter was kind of long, so I wasn't going to try to do three in this one anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it gives you a very abrupt, especially that transition at the end of the first chapter into the second one. It's kind of like, oh, this is unexpected. It just has to show that, uh, you know, it's not just all going to be planning and um wait and you know trying to get their stuff to happen while they're all doing this there is other stuff going on in the background and things aren't going to go to plan otherwise you wouldn't have a book this is true okay let's see we started out here with the uh the the epigraph that's the word i almost said epilogue again which wouldn't make any sense uh where it says you know uh, it amazes me how all these nations have united behind our purpose and uh, although some of the kingdoms have fallen to wars and stuff so uh, we talked about last time how you guys were wondering if this was written by the same person who wrote the epigraphs in the first section. So based on the two more that you've seen, what do you think? I feel like it was because, I don't know, for some reason the epigraph for this one really gave me the impression this is stuff happening in the past. And I think, we, and I think did we agree that the other stuff was happening in the past as well? Oh, and, this, and the one in front of Chapter 11 men- mentions the same terraceman. So, for mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like these were kind of going back to the progress we were originally reading, whereas that that one kind of standalone one didn't seem like it fit. Yeah, it definitely seemed back to normal. I think, well, we've talked about how, uh, to answer Dak's question, how it, maybe it's something's happening in the future or something, but I feel like y'all's general consensus so far is that it seems like probably it was in the past and that there's hints that this might be written by the Lord Ruler, but that I think Dak felt that might be too obvious, so we're still not sure. I mean, I guess we just don't know enough about the past history and what actually happened to right. have any other suspects at this stage. Well, and we know from this first epigraph, at least, that there was there there was are or will be several different nations and kingdoms. Whereas, as far as we know right now, the Final Empire is the only one around. So yeah. it it does seem like either in the past or the future, not uh, something happening now. Okay, and we move into Vin walking through Luthadel, trying not to have anyone pay attention to her. And she goes to this kitchen, and they explain that, you know, when the Ska go and work at a place, they're given these food chips, and they can go to one of these kitchens and get food. But it's pretty much crap food, because, you know, the the nobles pay the people who run the kitchens, and the people who run the kitchens want to get all the money out of it they can. Here's your daily reminder that life of the Ska is shit. Yep. You know, just just piling it on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really seemed like a um, um, like 
I'm trying to describe it like the workers that moved out west in the United States, like in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and like the company slash, in this case, the nobles owned or or directly paid all of these businesses to provide them with services. So really, like the ska just kind of get whatever the nobles provide. And in this case, it's like these kitchens are just really poor quality because the people that run them just want the money. Yeah, it's it's very reminiscent of like these old company towns you'd see, like a mining town where the company owns all the stores and all the buildings and they pay their workers who immediately turn around and give the company back all of the money to buy, you know, their food or their clothes or their lodging so that basically they were slaves to this company. It's it's a lot like that, except that these people don't actually get paid. So right. it's even worse. They, they just get chips for food. And then we meet up with Breeze. And Breeze is once again making somebody bring him wine because that's what he do. Yeah, he's got to have it. He's like, I can't he's, do, I can't work without it. Can't work without a dry, with a dry throat. And everyone's just like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and I like that he's getting this rebel to go and get him some wine. And he even has a moment where he's like, right now you're wondering if I'm using allomancy on you. Am I? Am I not? It doesn't actually matter because you're supposed to help me be comfortable. And I need wine to be comfortable. So it's just, you know, highlighting that he's kind of a jerk. I did like the whole, did you push him? Nah, that's a waste of brass. <laughs> it's, it's like, yes, I have this ability, but why use it when I can get them to do it without using it? And I can uh, save it for later. But again, he comes back to that they, a person who can soothe or, or riot, they have that skill anyway. This just enhances it. Like everyone is manipulative and these guys are just really good at it anyway. So you, you don't know. You don't know if they're using it or not. And then they have this ability which just just seals the deal. Yeah, he really tries to highlight that here because he sees, like, then you're thinking, like, one of them, those people who can't do what we can do. But, you know, it's, it's like... Slightly disconcerting. It is, but I mean, he, he goes on and he's like, you know, what we can do isn't that much more powerful than having a charismatic personality or a fine set of teeth in, like, our ability to convince people to do what we want. So do you believe that? I mean, does that sound, like, reasonable, or do you think he's kind of exaggerating a little bit? Uh, it just sounds like he's trying to make excuses to be a dick. Like, the examples <laughs> he, he gives about, you know, two, two old friends sitting down for a drink, they're trying to impress each other, or um, a guy trying to woo trying to woo a young lady. He's like, you know, this is, that's just what you do in order to get the situation you want out of that. I'm like, yeah, but there is still choice involved with that on both sides of the party like what you do removes the choice from it without people even realizing it so yeah i think that he's arguing that it's not really removing the choice removing people's free free will any more than you know if yeah his example of having a charismatic personality he's like you know if you're just really good at impressing people and making you know convincing them of things it's not taking away their free will I, I, I get that, but uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's just being a bit of an apologist because like his that's literally what his ability does is to remove that. Like he can spin it whatever whatever way he wants, but that's what he's doing at the end of it. Mm. For him too, uh, as we learn a bit more in this chapter, he is looking at manipulating what's what's already there. Like you can't make someone feel something, I guess that they weren't inclined mm-hmm. to feel anyway. So for him, he's not like, oh, well, you were never going to do it, so I'll use this power to make you do it. I'm just going to just push you that little bit further to do something you would probably have already done anyway. You're trying to enhance people's you know, loyalty or um, happiness or take away their sadness, something that they're already feeling. They can feel you know, dozens of emotions at any one time. You're just trying to pick at the one that you want to get a desired outcome from. So it's not like he's fabricating someone to do something that they wouldn't have done before. I really, uh, sorry, I really like this chapter because I feel like it really highlights just how subtle his power is and how probably difficult it is to manage. They even make the comparison a little bit later, like Vin says, when Kelsier does this, it feels like somebody like punching you right in the face with, with emotion. But the way he's doing it, it's almost imperceptible. And it, and then you know, all the way that he, all the ways that he justifies his behavior, I can't decide whether I like Breeze or I really don't like him. It's it's very strange to me that a character that 
basically bends people's emotions makes me feel really weird emotionally like how i feel about him like i can't decide like do i hate him do i like him is he a good guy is he kind of a uh more than a scoundrel is he is he like evil like you know it, it's just it's a weird feeling for me to not have a strong opinion about him yet i feel like he's definitely trying to uh invoke that you know the charismatic rogue sort of personality like the han solo sort of type but i don't know something about him is just really rubbing me the wrong way He's, he's like a very he, lazy Han Solo. Yeah. He really misuses his ability. Yeah. He's, you know, he's just like because Han Solo you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. <laughs> so we see, and like Jamie says, it's not like they're generating emotions that aren't there. It's like he he feels that, you know, these people are feeling, let's say, they're impressed by the speech, but at the same time they're suspicious of this person's motives. And so while these two emotions are conflicting, he's like, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll lessen this suspicion so that the other being impressed by the speech is the more prevalent emotion. So do you feel like, because I feel like this goes back to in a previous episode where Jamie was like worried on moral grounds. It's like, they're going to use this to recruit an army. Are they forcing these people to be in their army? Uh, So do you feel like that's what it's doing? Like Dak said, is it taking away their choice and kind of forcing them into it? Or is this not as morally worrisome as like Jamie maybe originally thought it was going to be? I think it is morally worrisome and that's why I can't decide whether I like Breeze or not. But I guess all of these powers manipulate something in some way, whether it be physics. It's just this one seems more devious because he's not manipulating the physics of the world around him like the other Allomancy skills. He's manipulating people. So yeah. I feel like maybe that's why it feels more devious than it is, but it's really not that much different power-wise than any of the other skills. Yeah, I mean, if you could put this, if you could put this power into, you know, our world, how would you feel knowing that, you know, you were going to go to war and someone had enhanced your sense of loyalty to your country and dampened everything else so that you were like no yes this is what i remember i remember feeling really loyal and and really you know encouraged that we're going to do the right thing that Mm. i think yeah i I don't think i would feel particularly good knowing that someone had done that to me so i still i don't think it's, it's morally right but we're also in a world where they're they're actually you know going in and attacking noblemen's houses and people are dying and and you know, none of it's exactly great. <laughs> so I think, unfortunately, it, it is necessary, and I do think it is quite a skill. I think it's definitely used more subtly than what I thought it was going to be at this point. I mean, it could change. But, I, yeah, I, I still, like, morally, I don't think it's a great power to have, but I think there's a lot of skill in using it. And if it's done the right way, I mean, they might get the effect they want. You just, you, you're not comfortable with sending a whole bunch of people into a war, joining an army that they might not come back from, and they may not have made that decision without their emotions being played with. So, hmm. like, I still, yeah, it's still not a great thing, but I understand why they have the need for it. Yeah, I get, the, I, I get the need. Like, they're obviously in like the shittest position. They need to do what they have to do. I can see the argument that you know we're only pushing you to do something you were going to do anyway. But I guess the question is, no, just wanting to do something and actually going to do it are two different things. So right. you, I, don't, I don't think you can, you can hide behind that excuse. You know, I get that it's for a noble cause and everything else, but you are using this power and you and, and the people you're using it on might die because you used it on them. Like, so. At this point, though, at this point, no one, it, no one has made a decision to go what they're trying to do at the moment is get people interested in hearing more. So no one's made that decision. I think where the moral argument's really going to come into play is when these people are at the point of making the decision, what happens now? So now, now, like Breeze said towards the end of this discussion is that, you know, once, once their emotions have stopped being played with, they will go away and won't they, they remember the discussion and, you know, that, that feeling might go. And he said, but there was, they will remember a strong emotional connection to whatever that was. So they might not still be under the influence, but they remember how they felt at that time. So 
at that point, are they free to make a decision or do they hear the words again and go, whoa, no, this is crazy. I'm not going to do that. Mm. You know, so I, is this, I, I very much doubt this is as far as his power is going to go. But if, when it comes to it, are these people going to make a decision of their own free will without being under the influence of Breeze? I, I don't know. But if they were, I'd feel a bit better about it if they weren't under the influence. Mm. Well, yeah, and when it comes down to it, I, 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 I like what y'all were saying about, you know, they're in a shitty situation and this is for a noble cause, I guess. I mean, does it – the idea is to – give Yedin this rebellion and put him in charge of the city and possibly, as Kelsey was saying, kind of like a piece of the final empire because they expect it to break apart after they've taken uh, the capital. So in a way, you know, are these people just going to be then working for whoever ends up in charge, Yedin or whoever is in charge of the city after it's all said and done? Are they just going to be slaves to someone else? Is, are, is is the way our crew is doing this, like, no better than what the nobility do in making the Ska do what they want? And actually, now that I'm looking at it, uh, we're in a perfect moment since we're talking about kind of what is right and wrong in this situation. Uh, what do you guys think of Ham's argument about the Lord Ruler being God and thus being able to determine what is right and wrong? I thought it was funny that Breeze was deliberately trying to stay out of that argument, but couldn't help but um, get sucked <laughs> into it eventually. I, that's true. I feel like I feel like that's Breeze to say he, like, he he will try as hard as he can to stay out of the moral quagmire of things. He just does what he th- he just does. All right, this feels good. I'm gonna do it. But then every so often he get he will get pulled into it, probably because of Ham, because like they seem to be best mates, and yeah, he like he can't hide from the lack of morality or like, you know, moral dissonance, such as it is, uh, it's going to catch up with him eventually. Do you think he's going to have to actually get into the morality of the situation? Yeah, I think when the chips are finally down, he's going to have to, like, make a declaration at some point. I mean, I say that. He's making a declaration as it, like, as it is. It's just not the one I agree with, so take from that what you will. <laughs> I thought um, Ham's question was really interesting. I've always been interested in that there's two sides to every story mm-hmm. and you know what is good and what is evil you know we we think we're doing the right thing by overthrowing the lord ruler but are we overthrowing god himself does that make us evil you know which which side are we actually on here from our perspective we're good but perhaps from the lord ruler's perspective he's good and depending on who we're we're listening to um at the start of each chapter that person thought they were good mm-hmm so, From my perspective, the Jedi are evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking more everyone is the hero of their own story, but okay, fine. <laughs> A- Anakin. I, so it's interesting because if and, – and I agree with what we've said so far that it, it's at least trying to hint that you know it could be the Lord Ruler doing this because of how it's addressed the deepness. That's the, I think that was the main thing where it said that this guy is going to fight the deepness in the epigraphs, and then it was like, oh, the Lord Ruler defeated the deepness. I think that that's the main piece of evidence that we have as to who might be writing those at this point. So, according to the Lord Ruler, uh, from what we've heard, basically, like, he defeats the deepness and in saving the world becomes God and in charge of the world, kind of. So, does saving the world give him a right to be the boss of the world if it turned him into some sort of God? I think by, like, original benevolent hero standards, I, I would say say no like if you think about heroes in fiction that have gone so far as to save the world like let's take one of my favorites avatar the last airbender he undoubtedly throw overthrows an empire and saves the world but he does not become its leader the avatar never becomes the leader because they're supposed to stay somewhat neutral and just worry about maintaining balance in the world not not taking over the world. So I don't think him saving the world from the deepness, whatever it was, gives him the right necessarily to be the ruler of said world. See, and I, I, I like that you brought that up because I've always thought that this was an interesting moral quandary of Avatar The Last Airbender or the Avatar world in general, because the idea is that the Avatar is like an independent authority for keeping balance. And if he overthrows the Fire Nation or the Earth Kingdom or whatever – even if it's like a lawfully established government, even elected by the people of that government, if the avatar personally feels that it's not keeping balance, he it can independently decide to overthrow that. 
whether or not he takes over it himself, he is acting as like a higher authority than any of the people of the world based solely on having this power, on being more powerful than other people and able to do that. Is that right? Is it right that Aang can overthrow a nation that has, you know, uh, uh, the Fire Nation when the people of, of the Fire Nation, if they want this government, if that's a government that they have chosen, is it right for him and, to be able to be like, no, uh, I have decided that that will not be your government? Well, remember I, in Korra, uh, there was that whole thing about when Aang and Zuko carved out an extra territory to make Republic City, and the Earth Queen mm-hmm. took that very poorly. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what gave them the right to take our territories, and then that became a big part of Season 4 as well. So, yeah, again, that's the Avatar acting. It's like, I've got you know the authority to do this, and, um, the, and the Earth Kingdom's just like, um, excuse me, that's our land. Yeah, like, exactly. yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you just saved us from the war and everything else, but you're just going to take our stuff. Does anyone ever yeah. have the right to speak on behalf of everyone else? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, maybe uh, a better, not equivalency, but a better example would be like Dragon Ball. Oh. No, not Final <laughs> Fantasy. A different, a, a different Akira Toriyama thing, Final, or Dragon Ball Z, where... Half the time, nobody knows the world is in trouble except for the people who are defending it. And then they defend it, and they don't ever take it over. That's true. Although Goku could if he wanted to. He just doesn't actually care. Yeah, no, he doesn't. Makes you wonder why Vegeta never did. Oh, they would have stopped him. I mean, he came to take over yeah. the world in the first place. That's when he showed up. He's like, I'm going to take this place. Yeah, I, I, I feel like he, like if, like if especially after Goku died fighting Cell, like Vegeta could have just said, all right, cool, I'm going to do this now. Yeah, of course, Gohan was then more powerful than him because Gohan had actually beat Cell, so... At, at that stage, but then like seven years passed and they made yeah. the point that Gohan got weaker in that time. Anyway, we're getting off track here. Yeah, we really are. Uh, yeah, I, I, I should not have brought that up as an example. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, it's an interesting it's an interesting moral thing here where Ham is just like, you know, he's God, right? Are we doing something good or bad in overthrowing the final empire? And you have to also admit that if that other thing was, if, if these epigraphs are the past, we're hearing about all these different kingdoms, all these people fighting each other. If the final empire is one empire, seriously, it, you know, with an entire empire of peace, basically, because it's all under one rule, that might actually be better for people than what was there before, except for, you know, the whole slave race, uh, working under the the nobles that kind of uh, falls apart at that point. <laughs> but I like Vin's response when he's like, "Are we doing something good and bad?" And she's like, "Does it matter?" And Breeze also likes that response. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Breeze does. It gets him out of the conversation. But from Vin's perspective, it's like all her life she's been, you know, members of a thieving crew or something where they steal from people. So it's like I've, I've been doing what's quote unquote bad my whole life. Does it really matter that? if we're doing good or bad in our new job that we've been hired for. Yeah. It's like bad has kept me alive. What else do you want from me? Which sort of calls to mind the question of, you know, uh, good and bad, the same thing as right and wrong. Who knows? Mm. Uh, and, and I also like the part where ham explains the thing. He's like, you see the dilemma and Breeze is like, I see an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Their dynamic is so good. <laughs> it really is. These two work so well off of each other. Uh, and then we move into uh, Kelsier's actual speech. So I don't think we've talked a lot about what uh, kind of what Breeze does here. And uh, that's that's where we spent the beginning of the thing. So we won't get into it too deeply. Uh, uh, bef- before we Breeze, be- no pun intended, before, before we before <laughs> yeah. we skip over that. Yeah. Um, yeah. that sorry, that wasn't unintentional. Um, I've got to say, like, as, as much as Breeze does kind of bother me, I think like his his little setup here with like the servant girls dressed in a certain color. So he's he, like, his men in the crowd know. Um, what they're going to be influencing. I thought that was actually a really clever little stroke. Like, I, I don't like Breeze very much, but I'll give him this. He's he's very smart, and he's very good at what he does. Yeah. At what he does, you can tell that he is extremely good. Even Vin can yeah. tell. And she hasn't been doing this that long. No. Nah. I'm the best at what I do, bub. <laughs> I, I feel like you, know, you could take that phrase and make it sound a lot less rough and a lot more drunk, and then you got Breeze. There you go. <laughs> You gotta sound a little chubbier and uh, <laughs> drunk. I am the best at what I do. You don't tell no one else that I'm better at what they do yet. Yeah. So yeah, I agree that that's a really good system. Uh, and I mean, for you know something that you're kind of throwing together on the fly because they have to be able to do this wherever they have a meeting, it seems like a really quick and effective way to do it. Yeah. 
So what did you guys think of Kelsier's speech? <laughs> I think it wasn't as dramatic as I was expecting. And like mm-hmm. that started like right from the beginning. Vin says, oh, I was expecting him to make a really dramatic entrance, but he just walked in the door. Right. <laughs> I, I, I was laughing quite a lot about it. It's like uh, the one time he chooses not to be a drama king. <laughs> well, it, it definitely seems to me like it's intentional in this case. These are down-to-earth working people, basically, and so he doesn't yeah, want to they, come in they looking ap- too good or too dramatic. But yeah, they, they, they won't appreciate the theatrics. They're there because they want a way out of their shitty lives, not for a show. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it's overlaid. Like, we get Kelsier's speech at the same time that we see Breeze kind of doing his thing, and so it's interesting in a couple of ways as we're going through there. And I, I like... Breeze, it's almost like conducting an orchestra where he's just like, okay, passion, anger, we'll just nudge this a little bit. And he's telling himself, but also with the the serving girls, he's telling all of his other people out there what they're doing. And then, of course, I think Kelsier ends uh, pretty dramatically where he's like, the Lord Ruler is not our god and he cannot kill me. He tried, but he failed, for I am the thing that he can never kill. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, dude. Just that little bit of a taste. And then Vin even, like, drops her copper so she can kind of feel, as Breeze is doing it, like, his touch. And that's where, as you guys were mentioned earlier, the, like, the delicacy comes into it. Which I feel like she picks up on this almost as quickly. Like, we talked about last time her being kind of, like, uh, just naturally really good with Allomancy. And in the next chapter, we see that she's already kind of good with using, like, really subtly this uh, soothing. So she picks things up quick. And then they have uh, they have the talk about how, you know, like Jamie said, that these guys will remember the emotion of the event more than they'll remember the specific words or anything like that, which will be the kicker for kind of, you know, pushing them over the the hump in the end to maybe join up. Just got to point out one little thing here. This is completely useless, but I just thought it was funny. One of the guys that Breeze is talking to to send out the serving girls is named Rudd. And I spent Mm -hmm. the entire time just like picturing our former prime minister, Kevin Rudd. And I was like, wow, you've really fallen on hard times, dude. Do you guys like this prime minister? Was he a bad one? He was pretty good. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, he like oh, I wouldn't say he was the best, but I wouldn't, but I'd say he's definitely far from the worst. All right. I'm just curious when you're picturing him, is like, is this guy like, haha, you're sucks to be you now, or if it's like, oh man, come on, guy. He was kind of like the people's prime minister. Like he was very into, I think, popularity. Yeah. <laughs> his, 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 he, his first term ended with him getting kicked out of office and being replaced with his, his vice PM about a few months before it went to election anyway. So it didn't really end well for him, but then he got back into office pretty much the same way by backstabbing the same person. So she stabbed him in the back. He stabbed her in the back. Yeah. Well. Everyone There's a bit gets, of story history yeah. there. Okay, interesting. <laughs> All right, so we move we move away from uh, this lesson with Breeze, and we're back to Kelsier standing on top of Club Shop, where he seems to like to hang out. And we get another little couple hints about Adium because he talks about how all this Adium comes to the city and then just vanishes. And he says that while burning Adium, a Mistborn is virtually unstoppable. Yeah, so, volcanoes. Yep, there you go. <laughs> can't stop a volcano. Um, I did think it was interesting. Like uh, he he says at one point he looks towards the northern horizon, has got the ellipses, and 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 he's looking at towards the pits of Hathsin. And I'm like, oh, is that where they are? And I look back at the map at the front of the book, and I could not see the bloody things. No, I don't think. Okay, now I got to bring up the map. Also, hold on. I mean, that map's not very detailed in the front of the book. No, but like it it did also point out it's like, oh yeah, the nearest of the Ash Mounts. And so I went looking for that, and yep, that was right there. Hmm. Mount Tyrion. Yeah, I don't think that the pits are on this map. For the 10th anniversary, they came out with a better map, which I actually have framed and on my wall. Now I want to see if it's on that map. Um, let's see here. Find a good big version of it. This is this this makes for thrilling radio. I know, guys. Stick with it. So. <laughs> oh, that's a tiny version. I need... So Dax told the one who brought it up and he can't see it, but I'm going to drop this into the chat too so that Jamie and Joe can see if they want there's the link so on this one do we have the pits on this one i guess is the question since that's where we started from but yeah you can see Tyrion. oh yes the pits are there they're actually from luthadel they're northwest it looks like so is that what he says he's where he says he's looking uh, he said he's looking north so it's not untrue yeah 
Okay. It was just interesting that they very dramatically called it, it called attention to it in the text, but it's not on the map. <laughs> At least for this book. Yeah, and there there, there are some errors on the map uh, in that book anyway, which they fixed with the the new one. Okay. Which I guess is part of the reason they put out the new one, but the new one's also way nicer. So anyway, you can take a look at it later. It it has it has a lot of stuff that don't come up that uh, don't that don't come up that doesn't come <laughs> up until uh, until like later uh, later books uh, cities and stuff that you know you go to in like the second book or the third book or whatever. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's got all the ash mounts on it too though, and there's I think it's I think it's the second book or something which we can we'll hit when we get to it. But there's there's a a line where it's like he this person passed this ash mount and this ash mount. And then when you look at the map, it's actually like one of them is way down in the South and one of them is ridiculously up in the North. And it was like, wait, how could that have happened? And <laughs> then in the 10th anniversary edition, that's corrected to be like, Oh no. Okay. Those are two ash mounts. He actually could have passed by. So uh, these yeah, things I happen. Just, I was about to go like, Oh, sorry. The ninth medal is super speed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just freaking the flash running around the world. Oh God. Okay. So, um, it, it says that uh, Kelsier knew the rumors about the 11th medal because he had started them, and now he had to make good on them. So, so shorthand, he actually didn't know jack crap about this. At yeah. first I was shocked, and then I went, hang on a minute, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> Kelsier. Yep, okay. Anyway, and then we get Sazed uh, talking about a new religion, uh, trying to not actually trying to sell Kelsier on this one. But uh, describing one to him, what did you guys think of Jawism? Uh, definitely not for me, but you know, <laughs> each his own. I thought too. Yeah. <laughs> like Sazed even points out, it's like, yeah, Kelsey, yeah, this one, this one's not for you, buddy. Yeah, he's like, it's a little simple for you. Uh, or did he say the simplistic part that he might like? Hold on now, because he, he there's oh he says it has a level of brashness you might find appealing, but that you might, you would find the theology simple. I. My favorite thing about the religion is, like, apparently speaking with a jawist could be very frustrating, since they tended to end nearly every sentence with praise the jaw. Yeah, it just seems like a very in-your-face religion. Which yeah. is, is why it was one of the first to be hunted down to extinction, because no one could shut up. <laughs> yeah, and be like, ugh, I don't know, they're they're probably going to come after all these jawists, whoever they are. Praise the jaw! <laughs> <laughs> Did you just say praise the jar? And I said, no, no, I just opened this <laughs> this jar of strawberry jam. Praise the yeah, jar. Uh, yeah, I, I was, was like, oh, uh, finally, this jar is open. I was saying boo urns. <laughs> but, uh, no, I said yeah. the door is a jar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should close <laughs> that door. Praise the jar. Uh, <laughs> but it seems what, Kel- what Kelsey is kind of grabbing onto here is the fact that after all the kingdoms he said had, and armies had fallen, the religions were the last ones still fighting. And he wants to know, like, what made these people so strong that they were able to keep fighting after everyone else had stopped. Because, uh, uh, hang on, I'm trying to find where it is. I can't, I can't find it on the page, but I remember Says was saying uh, it's all about belief. They were fighting for what they believe is right or something to that effect. You know, army, armies fight because that's their job, but religions fight because they believe it is the right thing to do. Mm. Yeah, says says that some were strong through honest faith, others because of the hope that the religions promised, and others were coercive. I don't, I don't know how that last worked in this scenario, but uh, but Kelsey says they all had passion, and says agrees that yes, that is true. Yeah. And and then uh, Kelsey is like, hey, do you know any uh, any religions that include the slaughter of noblemen as a holy duty? <laughs> <laughs> And also, Which, this is where Says does not meet this with humor. He's just like, dude, not funny. It's like, dude, this is serious. Religion. Yeah. Stop that. But <laughs> it, it's interesting because this is one of the little peaks that I feel like we've gotten so far. We saw Kelsier attack the keep and have no problem about slaughtering everybody there. And we kind of skipped over it when we talked about his him and Marsh talking when Marsh first shows up. But Marsh, the first thing he does is throw down this list. And he's like, those are the people that you murdered last night. And uh, Kelsier's like, whatever. And he's like, some of them were ska. And Kelsier's like, fuck, you know, screw them. If they want to fight at, like noblemen, then they can die like noblemen. Yeah, you're getting this impression that he's very bloodthirsty. He hides it behind his charm, but he's still a bit of a psycho. He really doesn't like noblemen. Which is funny, since we found out that he was raised like as a nobleman for the first part of his life. But yeah. that didn't 
that didn't make him politically motivated to do anything about it. Like, because mm. Mar- the Marsh didn't Marsh say like he spent his time just being a frivolous dickhead. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But also, how quick they turned on him when they found out he wasn't noble. That's true. Yeah. And apparently, his dad killed his mom. I don't know how him and his brother made it out, but also, I like that. At the end of this section, we find out that everyone has is already here, and they they're waiting downstairs for Kelsier to show up for his own meeting again, because <laughs> that's how he roll. So we go into the meeting, and we come up against the well. First, we find out that Marsh used to have a nickname. Apparently, Marsh is not a nickname, even though everyone has these one word names. It's like no, that's not a nickname. That's just his name. He's Marsh. Uh, he used to be called Iron Eyes. Which no, I mean, is kind you, of a, you. you... You can get that out of what this guy is saying because this is Clubs's nephew who right. speaks in a really weird. I'm like, I, I don't quite get what you're trying to say. I'm glad other people are figuring it out because I, I got no freaking clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's that's a fair point because when when he says he finds she finds out that it's not a nickname, he's like he wasing one though. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay. He was in one, though. You mean he was a person? <laughs> I don't. I don't understand. Or was he was using one, though? Did he just run the words "was" and "using" together? I, I guess the best one is when she first asked, like, "Hey, is that a nickname?" And he's like, nodding without the call of his parents. It's like, uh, all right, what? dude. <laughs> if you say so. I feel like I need to like read these chapters, then get really, really drunk and leave and read his dialogue, <laughs> and maybe it'll make more sense then. Uh, but I I guess going past that we find out that there's issues so far it's been 12 weeks and they have slightly less than 2,000 men so they're not on schedule to make their numbers but Kelsey doesn't seem to see it as too big a problem he's like oh yeah we'll start working other towns there's little towns all around Luthadel he's really blasé about everything he's like oh yeah we, we, we got this problem ah whatever we'll deal I think probably a lot of it is to help just keep everybody else's confidence up like, as long as Kelsier's not worried, then we don't have to worry, right? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And Yedin's actually kind of acting like part of the team now. He's like, oh, oh do, you, do, you, do you think that's a good idea, Kelsier? Okay, if you say so. Well, Bre- Breeze did make the point when at the meeting that he was, you know, removing some of Yedin's negative feelings about things as well, just during, uh, you know, ostensibly during those meetings, but he could be doing it during these meetings as well. True. So. Give, give, given... That Breeze uses it all the time. You have to imagine he probably is. Yeah. Even though they've only got just fewer than 2,000 like men at the moment, there's still some results for their 12 mm-hmm. weeks of work. So it is moving ahead. So he is seeing some results. I think there's a line in there about, you know, results make friends or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact yep. line, but, you know, it, it might not be moving as fast as what they would hope, but it is moving. Yeah, uh, Vin thinks, as Reen had always said, results make quick friends. So, yeah, I mean, now that he's seeing something for his money, he's he's uh, a little happier, which I guess makes sense. And uh, and honestly, you know, I feel like 2,000 people in 12 weeks, that's a pretty, uh, I couldn't do that. So. Especially when you consider year? what they're asking them to do. Exactly. But didn't they have a year to recruit all these people as well? I mean, yep. obviously, the, con- the, the concentration of people is going to be in Luthadel, so they'd really hope to get most of their people from Luthadel. Mm-hmm. But also they raise a point that, you know, having more meetings and, and generating more interest and more chatter about this could raise suspicions as well. Right. So moving out to the other villages is not a terrible idea. If if their time is the same as ours, which I don't think we've established at all, but if it is, then 12 weeks would be, what, three months? And so in three months, they've gotten 2,000 people. In 12 months, they would have gotten 8,000, which would put them a little bit short of the 10,000 they were going for. Mm. Uh, and then Marsh is still having trouble infiltrating the ministry, which I feel like everyone knew was always going to be a problem. But once again, Vin comes to the rescue with an idea. What would they have done without her at this point? <laughs> and so they're going to look into trying to slip him in using Theron's scam that he was running. I did not expect Theron was going to come back up. I thought, yeah, all right, that guy's rolling. This is done. I figured he was probably dead or on the run by now after Kamen, like, screwed Blue the ministry plan. over. Yeah. Maybe not. Mm. Can't imagine he'll be too happy to see Vin, though. He's like, oh, <laughs> you. Yeah, but we saw how much respect like these, these street-level crews had for Doxon and Kelsier when they showed up. So if Doxon is the one who you know shows up and has some money in hand, then he might be very welcome, for all we know. Mm, possibly. I mean, he was working on that scam for like six years, and Cameron 
well, we thought the cannon blew it all to hell, but uh, like Vin's ex- is saying, hey, maybe we can use part of that same scam to try and get us in. Like maybe it's not all blown to hell, and he just has to he doesn't have to start from scratch, but he's uh, you know got to start over it somewhere earlier in his plan. He's yeah. probably thinking like that's a lot of time and effort that's got that's gone to waste, and he's the one surviving member of the crew that is the cause of it going to waste. I wonder how bad the plan actually was hurt by what Cameron did, because the whole point of the plan was to get this ministry contract, and Cameron apparently convinced them to give them the the ministry contract, and then vanished. So, did he do everything that he needed to do, and now actually Theron just doesn't have to pay him? I don't think that the contract was ever secured, because they, I mean, basically their cover was blown. Because so, the ministry is the one that was giving them the contract to begin with, so when their cover got blown, I don't, I don't think it moved forward after that. Now Theron was a silent partner, so they they probably didn't know about him at all. But yeah, that's a good point. They they sent a steel inquisitor after the guy when Cameron left uh, the office, so probably they don't consider that deal actually valid. Okay, so but. That's what they're going to try. That's that's their next plan is talk to Theron and maybe maybe his contact is still good, if nothing else, because he had the one this guy that was apparently open to bribery. Yeah, I mean, it's an option, which is something they don't really have many of anyway. So mm-hmm. uh, Bree says that he's been hearing rumors on the streets about the 11th medal and Kelsey is just like, good <laughs> <laughs> Meant to do it. And they're like, wait, but but isn't that a bad idea? And he's like, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm Kelsey I'm going to pay the Lord Ruler a personal visit sometime during the next few days, which leads to one of Yedin's best moments where he's just like, you're going to visit the Lord Ruler? Are you in... Oh, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, you... <laughs> right, I forgot. So you have to wonder what that's going to look like. And Doxon's just like, yeah, he's catching on. <laughs> Doxon really hasn't done a lot lately. Like, not I that think... we've seen, anyway. Not I, think that he's, seen, I know he's working, yeah. working in the background, but he's just kind of dropped off the radar a bit. Well, he's once again taking notes in this meeting, and he's like, "I'll I'll contact Cam and see if his stuff." So he's really like the the behind the scenes, like get getting things done guy, I guess. Yeah. And then we find out about an incident at Cammon's lair. The Ministry has found it, and that is the end of the chapter. And so we move into the next one, and we've got you're right. They're talking about Rashek again. It seems Rashek is represents a growing faction in terrorist culture who think their unusual power should be used for more than just field work, husbandry, and stone carving. They could be so very dangerous this, if given the opportunity. So is this before or after they got subjugated? This is a good question. I mean, uh, like the, the fact that Reshek is pissed off and, and some of his and some of the others are just like, yeah, no, we, we should be for more than we currently are, that would suggest mm-hmm. that it's after they've been subjugated. So, Yep. Of course, if there's lots of different kingdoms at this time, they could be have been subjugated more than once for all we know. That is a good point. Uh, we move into Cammon's lair, where everyone has been murdered in an extremely grisly fashion, and chopped up and blood everywhere. And I don't think we need to dwell on it. They, they spend a lot of time talking about it, and the, the Inquisitor, how the Inquisitor did it, and all that stuff. I don't think we need, necessarily need to go any, into any of that. It's just everybody's dead, and uh, Vin is really pushing to act like she doesn't care. She's like, none of them were my friends even though she kind of low-key does care. She's and, human. Yeah. Kelsey was like, that's kind of cold-hearted, Vin. And she's like, I know. And? Come at me. Uh, and we find out that they uh, they tortured the guy that uh, Kelsey left in charge after getting rid of Kamen. What was his name? Milev. Yeah, they tortured Milev, which uh, is also uh, an issue. They're like, wait, what? why would they do that? What, what are they going to get out of him? And while this is going on, Seized is saying a prayer for the dead. And we get an interesting look into his personal beliefs here where she's like, is that the one that you believe in? And he's like, I believe in all of the religions, despite the fact that they contradict each other all the time. He's like, I respect the truths behind them all. And I believe that each need each one needs to be remembered. Yeah, he believes in the power of belief rather than the specific mm. tenets of each of them. And uh, yeah, I, he's he's an interesting character in that, you know. He doesn't seem to have a structure of beliefs, at least not that he's told us about. Like you said, he believes in like the power of belief and everybody believing what's best for them, what works best for them. Which, on the one hand, it's like, oh, that's really a nice and like open-minded way to come at it. But at the same time, I don't know how fulfilling that is as a personal belief for yourself. Uh, and then uh, when Vin tries to listen into what Kelsey and Doxon are saying, says is like, 
Mistress Finn, if Master Kelsier wanted us to hear, would he not speak in a louder voice? Which she's annoyed by, so she just uses <laughs> tin instead so that she can hear anyway. <laughs> she gets all the smell of blood. Good job. Yeah, that's that can't be good. No. But Zayz knows what she's doing as well. Oh, yeah, he totally picks up on it. Which is just another hint to her. She's like, oh, this guy knows something about Alamancy. Well, he mentioned... Was it here, or was it back when Kelsey was standing on the roof that... Like, he, ha- he has powers himself that are completely unrelated to Alamancy, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I totally... When we were... I, I got so caught up in the religion he was talking about that we left a very interesting little tidbit back there. Let me see if I can go back to that now before we before we move on. But Kelsier asks him like what he thinks the Lord Ruler would think if he knew there was a, uh, a keeper within his city. And uh, he says, it's like, well, let's hope he doesn't find out. And say says that the Lord Ruler, it's like, I, it's not healthy to belong to a sect that the Lord Ruler himself fears. And he says that he thinks that he, he, he's very certain that the Lord Ruler fears the Keepers. Perhaps it's because of our powers. We're not Alamancers, but something else, something unknown to him. So we... Am- I guess they they represent belief in something other than him. Like, the Lord Ruler's power base seems largely contingent on the fact that people believe him to be a god. Like, mm. the, if, if the Keepers run around, they, they preach that you don't have to believe in him, you can believe in other things, which could erode his power base entirely, potentially. It's true. We'd already inferred, I think, from the previous, like in last week's episode, that because he tells Says to take care of Vin, and he thinks to himself, he's like, even an Alamancer would be in trouble going up against a keeper who was angry. So we'd kind of inferred just from that mm. that he could, he has some sort of power, he can do something, and this is kind of building on that. Yeah. But going back to where we were, they leave Cammon's lair, and Kelsier goes off. Uh, Dachshund. He, she overhears Dachshund saying that he's gone to check on him a couple times, like Kelsier asked. You'll find him at this certain place. And so Kelsier goes to this place. And there's a uh, bunch of beggars there and a massive copper fountain dominated uh, dominating the square with a statue of the Lord Ruler standing dramatically in a cloak and armor and a formless representation of the deepness dead in the water at his feet. So that's, that's the kind of decorations they have around Luthadel really really want to know what the hell the deepness is <laughs> it's really starting to bother me it's like it's come up a few times just this sort of a cryptic background reference and i'm like yep. okay we'd like more information on that i'm sure it'll be forthcoming but yeah yeah that's it's it's definitely something that he's kind of dangled as a mystery for us a few times already the the person in the epigraphs is trying to fight the deepness and the Lord Ruler is supposed to have defeated the deep, the deepness. And now that we see that there's statues just hanging around of him, like standing dramatically over the deepness, but there's no form to it, so we don't actually know what it is. Yeah, no description it's, at all. It's like he's teasing it on purpose. He's like, yeah, oh, you know, he, def- he's, he definitely is. He's standing over this defeated thing, but I'm not going to tell you what it was. <laughs> it's mean. Yeah. Uh, we found out a little bit about beggars and how you're only allowed to beg if you're like horribly disfigured and it's a really crappy life, even crappier than plantation ska. But that's where they sent Kamen. Which, not gonna lie, I, I did spend the last few chapters wondering, like, what happened to him? Where did he go? Did they kill him? Did they throw his body in a river? Did they lock him up somewhere? So I'm glad we finally got an answer to that question. Mm. Well, Milev originally said when Kelsey was like, "Get rid of this guy. I want him to live, but not enjoy it." Milev's like, "I oh, will make him a beggar." It's fine. But then oh, Vin, I'm, I don't yeah. remember that. But at the time, Vin thought yeah. in the back of her head, she's like, Milev's going to get rid of him, like, first chance. As soon as he thinks Kelsier's not paying attention anymore, he's going to knife him. And he sees all these people, and he thinks, I can't save them with coins. There will be time for these once the final empire is gone. So even when he... I, I think that this is an interesting look, because this is one of the first times that we see Kelsier thinking to himself, like, not putting on a show for everybody but just reflexively wanting to help these people. And he stops himself here. He's like, no, you can't save them with coins. But I think this is one of the first looks we get that we can see it's not, in his own mind even, it's not about, or it's not all about his revenge. He actually does want to help these people. Uh, and then he finds Cameron dead. Brutally. Yeah, yeah. Mm. He's, he's uh, tied up and hanging from a hook that has been rammed down his throat. And I hooked out through his neck. It's not a pleasant sight. 
But then he feels somebody and spins around and shoots coins at them, and it's Vin. It also mentions that Cameron looks like he's been tortured. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. So I feel like that's 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 important. And then he kind of gets onto Vin for following him and starts and she's like cowering down like, oh, no. And he starts thinking, oh, you can't blame her for being curious. She's just wait a second. She's soothing me. <laughs> so she's really good at this. So subtle that he almost didn't pick up on it. And he's like really impressed. Like, how did she get so good so quickly? And maybe it comes back to the fact that he's just not that good at some of this. And uh, so it's really impressive that she is. But this is kind of like her luck, right? This is what she's yeah. been doing. So she, without knowing she was an Alamancer, she still has been able to do this for a little while. Well, for quite some time. Yeah. And that's her excuse. It's like, oh, it was a reflex, you know? Because um, he kind of gets onto her and he's like, no matter what Bree says, it's bad manners to like emotionally manipulate your friends. Which... I think that makes perfect sense. That it would be bad manners to go around like emotionally manipulating your friends. But you know, Breeze yeah. doesn't seem to take it that way. <laughs> well, he also mentions the practical side of things. It's like like the noble nobles considered an insult to use it in formal settings. So if we send you out into this ball as we're planning to do and you start doing that shit, you're you're gonna be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. And and then it turns out that the hook is a ritual killing reserved for the most reprehensible of sinners, people who misuse allomancy. So he must have admitted under torture that he knew that Vin was an allomancer and was using her intentionally. Bum, bum, bum. So the ministry is still on her trail somehow. And they mention it a, a couple times in this chapter, but kind of gloss over it every time because they don't know how. They're like, this should not have been able to happen. They shouldn't have been able to find these people, but they did. And they point out the odds against um, attracting the attention of a second Inquisitor, so they assume it must have been the same one. Uh, they mentioned there's only like a couple dozen of them, like in the entire yeah. Empire. Kelsier like, says there's 20 of them in the entire Empire, yeah. Yeah, so like that's an interesting little tidbit, considering how terrified people are of these things. There's really not that many of them, comparatively. Yeah, it makes you wonder how Kelsier knows that. At least it makes me wonder that. It's like, is is this common yeah, knowledge? Yeah. Or how do you know that there's 20 of them and half of them are out of the city at any given time? Yeah, maybe it is among the nobles, like, common knowledge that that's how many there are. And normally they, like, patrol the outskirts of the Empire. Yeah, I think that does seem like the sort of information you'd withhold from the Scar because they're the ones you want to be, t- like, really terrified of these people. So the that's more information they, they have, like, probably the less frightened they'll be. Mm. Well, it, I, I think the impression we've gotten is that the Inquisitor's main job is to actually, like, control the noblemen and make sure they're not, you know, having these children that they're not supposed to have with Ska. Because all the way back to the, the prologue, he's like, no, if there was any suspicions about you not taking care of stuff with when you bed Ska women, they would have sent an Inquisitor instead. True. Uh, but I don't know. And then uh, she says, so wait, the Ministry knows that I'm a Mistborn now? And he says, well, it depends on what Cameron knew. He might have thought you were just a misting. Well, she only ever used the one power around him, so like, there's no reason for him to think she's a misborn. Yeah. She thinks that she probably used a little bit of pewter also to make herself stronger without realizing it, but he probably wouldn't have realized that either, I would think, right? Mm-hmm. No. It does and, shed his, like him in a whole new light. It's like he knew the whole time like, uh-huh. what she was doing and just put up with it. It's like, wow, he really was a good actor. Didn't stop him from beating on her all the time, though. No, but he never he never once let on that he that he knew. Yeah, I mean, he brought her to a bunch of jobs, but he, people thought that maybe it was just like a superstitious good luck charm sort of thing. So he didn't let on that it was more than that for sure. Yeah. And then she goes, "Well, does this mean that I can't do my part in the job?" And he's like, "No, we're gonna continue as planned. Only a couple obligators saw you, and it would take a rare man to connect a ska servant with a well dressed noble woman." And that is where the chapter ends. Well, uh, except for that she goes, oh, what about the Inquisitor? And he does not answer that. So... <laughs> yeah, not only that, he says he doesn't know how to answer it. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a uh, scary moment that we leave off on where it's like, we don't know. The Inquisitor shouldn't have been able to find them, and we can't answer how he did, so we don't know if he's going to find us. So yeah, I'm sure that sending her to these balls uh, where he's like, nah, probably nobody will recognize you. That's silly. Uh, it's not, not going to come back to bite us at all, right? Nah. <laughs> so let's do predictions i think we made joe go first last time or something jamie what do you got what's gonna happen uh i'm still really worried about vin and what she may do 
her attitude. She's still, yeah, a little bit confident in her abilities and even just how fast she's picked up uh, her lessons from Breeze, I guess, already, despite mm. having used them before. She she just wants to be involved in, in everything. And even when people are telling her, like, if they want you to be involved, they'll invite you. She doesn't listen to that. And mm. I think that could still be really dangerous. I don't think things are going to go particularly well at this ball when they're going to go there as well, because we, we don't know, we don't know what extent, like Cameron knew, we don't know what Milev knew, how, how involved have this, has this crew been since we left them last time. Right. Um, so yeah, I think things are going to get a bit dicey here. Yeah, I think that, Vin's overconfidence is showing a lot, even just in this chapter. Like, Kelsier goes off into a potentially really dangerous situation to find Kamen, and Vin just sneaks after him with no concern for what... I mean, there could have still been Inquisitors there torturing this guy, for all we know, and they may be looking for her specifically, which would mean that would have been the worst place for her to be. But she's not thinking things through, because, you know, she's a 16-year-old girl, and when does this teenage girl ever think things through or teenage boy for that matter i don't want to be gender specific there teenagers in general yeah (laughs) so yeah i think you got some good thoughts there it's uh ben is a worrying element in this whole plan all right dak what about you um i was very surprised that after the way the last chap the last two chapters we did ended that it it didn't immediately pick up going into whatever social event Vin's being sent to. So I feel like mm-hmm. soon enough, we're going to have to get to that because they were really setting that up for happening and happening soon. Uh, I feel like Vin's probably going to not blow it entirely, but just be massively socially awkward at said event. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And I don't, I don't know if this is going to happen soon or much, much later, but I feel like at some point Vin is going to get into a heap of shit and Sazed is going to bust in there and just like start going to town on whoever's trying to get to her. And we're going to see exactly what he can do, and it's going to be friggin' terrifying. So they're, they're just going to come out with it and be like, here's what Sazed can do. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> just because, like, it's sort of... like he's, He seems like he's being built up a bit more mysteriously, whereas the others, you know, the, you know, with Breeze and Hammond um, and Clubs and all the rest, like, they've... Their powers is like, all right, this is what they can do. So we'll get it. We'll get a chance to see them in action, but it's going to be like their powers lend itself to be a bit more subtle. Whereas I feel like whatever says can do is probably going to be a bit larger, and it's going to be more intimidating. Okay. Just because cool. he's being set up as a protector. Right. Yeah. He's. He, the, the, they've told us straight up very quickly what Alamancy can do. You know, in the first couple of chapters, it was a mystery to us, but then they, they kind of came out and just gave it all to us. Like, here's, except for these last two medals, they're like, here's everything, all laid out yeah. nicely for you. Well, what they've been doing with Sades so far is just a little implication here, a little implication there. So, and Granted, uh, we, we haven't known him for very long, so that's true. they might continue to build things up, but when it does come up, it's going to come up with a bang, I feel like. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Cool. What about you, Joe? What do you got? Well, um, I've, I've been playing my predictions kind of close to the the chest the last couple of times. So now I'm just going to come out with a wild prediction. Get ready. Woohoo. Uh, Vin is actually the daughter of the Lord Ruler. They're going to they're going to palpatine it. That's that's my prediction. <laughs> OK, interesting. He would explain her being very powerful. Yep. What makes that's you say a, this? It's a bold prediction. Uh, mainly the the things they were talking about in this chapter and the previous chapters. Like, how is she picking this up so quickly? It's almost, like, natural for her to pick up all of the Allomancy techniques, not just the ones that are more suited to her previous skills. So, I just, I don't know. It just seems like there's got to be something greater to her than that. And it would be kind of like the crazy most ultimate thing if it was like, actually, she is the illegitimate daughter of the Lord Ruler. And and also, like, I, I don't know, it's just like her relationship with Reen that would make sense if he was scared of her. He would kind of want to keep her down if he knew, like, the truth about her. And um, oh, yeah, that, that makes also, sense. And that mm. may have also been why he wanted to, like, distance himself from her and leave her mm. behind. So I don't know. Well. It certainly would give – I mean, if what they're doing here is going to end, as they hope that it ends, in overthrowing the final empire, having what I guess would essentially be the heir to the throne 
would definitely be a uh, a supporting factor in that if they found out that that was the case. It could get very Game of Thrones, actually. No, were... How do they do a DNA test in this society? That's <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a fair point. They use the ash. The ash tells all. Well, that, was the, that was the issue with Jon Snow, right? Is that there's no DNA testing, so who knows? Right. They throw him into a volcano that they make with the medium. <laughs> yep. There you go. If the volcano spits him back out, he is our chosen one. <laughs> Woohoo! I have another thought to throw out there. Okay. Um, what if the deepness hasn't been overthrown yet or defeated yet? And we still have, uh, I think it was the Hero of Ages, is prophesized to defeat the deepness or destroy the deepness. You know, maybe... Maybe one of these characters that we're meeting is is really the um, the hero, and the Lord Ruler's gone. Yep, I've defeated it, and maybe maybe the final empire is the deepness. Ooh, interesting. I like that twist. Well, I was going to yeah. ask you when, when you're like maybe, maybe the deepness hasn't been defeated. Like, well, wouldn't we know if it hadn't been? De- but okay, that's an interesting. Well, well, what not if, if not if um the Lord Ruler is like channeling it or whatever? Yeah. I mean, what's go- what's going on in the pits? Yeah. What mm. if the what if the deepness is inside the Lord Ruler, and Vin is the daughter of the Lord Ruler, and she's going to Luke Skywalker it and defeat her <laughs> evil father to become the, the chosen hero to bring balance to the world? So she's Rey and Maybe. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I mean, all right. Well, what's what if like we know the Lord Ruler is very protective of the Atium. What if the Atium is the deepness distilled into like metallic form? Into volcanoes, yeah, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Into volcanoes, yeah. It all comes cir- full circle. That's that's an interesting theory. I, I, I like that one. And I, but not I the was, others. I, well, no. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, because I, I have something to add to Jamie's idea, in that I don't think it's an actual spoiler to uh, point out that the name of the third book in this trilogy is The Hero of Ages. Ooh. Yeah. Well, it can't be a spoiler because it's on the back cover of our edition of the book. So. We'll see there. Yeah, uh, exactly. So. Well, I have it on my Kindle, so I haven't looked at any of the other titles. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that uh, that may add some credence to what Jamie's thinking, or maybe it means something completely else. But, uh, yeah. It's interesting. By the way, this uh, this podcast is not sponsored by Amazon yet. So. <laughs> well, if it Working was, it. yeah, if, if it was, Dak, and we'd, they, could, they would just have some Kindles, it would be great. Right. Um, I was actually thinking because I was I was gonna you know we're if, for the future books I was gonna send them to them and I was like maybe it'd be like if we're gonna do all these books maybe it'd be cheaper in the long term just be like here let me get you a Kindle and then we'll digitally get all the books for you but uh, I don't know I got to do the math on that yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll talk we'll about that I read I, I read them all on the Kindle app on my phone so that's but anyway so um, okay. Anybody got any other ideas? Any other thoughts before we wrap up? Got any? Uh, do we got any emails this week or anything? No, nothing that I was gonna pull out and read this week. Uh, there, there were a couple of comments, but I was like, I'll save it up to we have, you know, maybe a couple more than just a couple. So, um, all right. If nobody has anything else, then for the next episode, we are going to be reading chapters twelve and thirteen. And uh, I think that these will be some very interesting chapters that everybody will get a kick out of uh, based on the discussions we've had. So I'll be really interested uh, in next week to see what you guys we, think. We are getting to the point where I, I am I am a binge reader. I will sit down and read until I run out of time <laughs> in which to read. And so doing That's this true. piecemeal thing, like now we're actually getting into the meat of the book and it's starting to get frustrating. It's like, oh god, I gotta stop. Come on. <laughs> oh man, we're only we're only thirty three percent of the way through the book. We're one third of the way through the book, like officially now. So just wait until mm. we're like two thirds of the way through, and then you'll be gritting. <laughs> we're your down teeth. to the last two chapters, and we're like, what happens? Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> That's when it'll be super fun. Anyway. <laughs> Okay, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you next week, 12 and 13. Read them, or don't read them, you know, we explained it, right? It's fine. Listen yeah. to us ramble. Yeah, it's, it's much better than reading, right? Just, uh... <laughs> yeah. Who, who needs I'd to love read? to know it's the mental picture. <laughs> I'd love to know the mental picture with all the volcanoes being thrown yeah. around if you haven't read the book. <laughs> yeah, 
If you are a fan of the podcast, please draw a picture of a volcano and send it to our email address. Yeah, sure. Draw all the pictures you want. It'll be awesome. You know, the I've heard I haven't actually read the audiobooks for these or read the audiobooks, listened to the audiobooks. That's what you do with those. But I've heard that they're actually really good for anyone who hasn't. And also what Brandon Sanderson uh, has arranged with several of his books is they have graphic audio versions. Uh, I, believe, I believe is what it's called, which is like it's kind of like a radio play version of the book where they have sound effects and different actors for the different characters. And like, they really dra- dramatify it. Wow. I've heard clips and they're actually really cool. These graphic audiobooks. They're also super expensive, which is why I don't own them. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I figured, you know, if you've never listened to that, go out and listen to a clip. Uh, you, you three don't listen to any clips from after where we are now, if you're going to listen to a clip, but they're actually super cool. So Presumably they'll have some on YouTube or something. I think they probably do, yes. Or even if I, – I think their website has samples you can listen to. Okay. So if you just search for, like, graphic audio, Mistborn, or The Final Empire, or whatever, I'm sure it comes up. But anyway, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Music by Miracle of Sound. Check them out, too. He's awesome. And we will see you next week. Bring up the brother in me. I'm searching for unity. Everything.